So I'm trying to figure out how to answer that last question for myself about, about my wife, Olivia, who happens to be here. So Liv, I don't, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out what my favorite thing is about you because there's so many things. And I think it comes down, it's a tie between your sense of humor and your compassion. Like, you're literally my best friend, so thank you. I love you deeply. But the fact that we can just belly laugh together and the fact that, that we're so in sync on caring for people and animals and all of that together, it, yeah, wildly in love with you. So love you very much, very much. Uh, sorry, that's not actually in my notes, but that, I do. Thank you for applause. We've made it three and a half years, so we're pretty much experts at this point. Uh, that's a joke. That's a joke, as we'll see. Um, Okay, so first of all, before we dive in, I just want to say hello to all of you who are watching online. Hello to those of you at North Indy and Fishers. I hope you're having a great morning. Uh, it is wonderful to be together today. So we're going to keep this series going, and we're going to talk about a turning point, marriage. Although we call it a turning point, and that makes you think, oh, we're just talking about people who are newly married. That's not, that's not it at all. If you know anything about marriage, you know that every day is a bit of a turning point, isn't it? And it's, it's work, it's... Uh, it is a turning point for your life. So uh, that's why we're talking about this topic. Now, just a few things before we dive into today's passage and get into the topic. First of all, again, just a reminder that you can send us questions at gracechurch.us slash thegoodlife. Send us those questions that you have about anything in this series. We want to know. We want to hear so that on week five, we can respond as the preaching team um, to the questions that you raise. So again, if anything pops up throughout this series, send them our way, please. Um, another thing, just kind of a caveat. I just mentioned it, but again, uh, Liv and I have been married for three and a half years, so that does not make me an expert on marriage whatsoever. I, I cannot bestow upon you decades of wisdom because I don't have it. What I have is what the Bible says and the little bit that I'm continuing to learn personally. So maybe, you know, when I've been married, when we've been married for 50 years, then I can start giving you a bunch of uh, wisdom and stuff. But for now, uh, we're all learning together on this. And finally, before we dive in, I want to acknowledge two groups of people who are a part of Grace Church hearing this message. First of all, there's those of you who are single. Whether you're single, you've always been single, or whether you're single again, I know that hearing a message about marriage or even knowing that that's the topic probably makes you either roll your eyes or even feel pain in your heart. I mean, I would know I got married at 34. So I heard a lot of messages about marriage and they were rarely about me and I, I get how that feels. So just a, a couple of things for you if you're single. Number one, uh, back in 2017, yeah, back in 2017, I gave a message all about singleness in the church. And I happen to be very proud of that message because I think uh, well, I think it's something that we need to think about as a church. So if you're curious, go back and watch that message. I put the link to it in the app notes. I'd love for you to hear my heart and Grace's heart for you as a single person. Um, but the other thing is that as with every week in this series, this is a, we're, we're talking about our spiritual family here. And every one of us, whether we are single or married, we have a role to play in loving and supporting those who are. Okay, so that's part of what I want you to be listening to today because you're going to be hearing some of the things that married people are dealing with and ways that you can love them and support them well. The other group of people that I really want to address are those of you who have, uh, you've felt deep pain or you've experienced loss or abuse or some kind of um, terrible experience in marriage. I know for you, when you hear this topic come up, it can, it can be painful. It can bring up uh, old wounds. It can, uh, yeah, it can be a lot of, of pain. And so uh, 
First of all, for both of you groups of people, single people or those who have been really burned in marriage in the past, you, you are not invisible. I want you to know that. We see you. We are with you. We love you. And if you would allow me, I'd like to just open in a word of prayer uh, before we get into this. So Father God, Father, please speak through me in these next few moments. I pray that, that I would disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. Let everything that I say be words directly from you. And Father, I pray for those who are single or for those who uh, find the topic of marriage painful, I pray that you would surround them with your love, with your truth, and that you would uplift them and help them to see uh, what your intentions are for healthy, godly marriages in the church. Father, speak through me, I pray, and speak through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Grab a Bible, please. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Uh, now, before we get into the actual passage, I want to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of uh, kind of what was going on in the world when Paul wrote this letter. Uh, first of all, there was a thing that they did back then, <laughs> ancient Greek and Roman philosophers, they would do things called, they would write these household codes, household codes. They, they had this thing about trying to, everybody had their take on what would make the perfect society. And so they'd write these household codes. Fathers should be men of honor and, and mothers should be pure and children should be obedient and, and servants should be hardworking or whatever it was. They'd have this whole list of different roles in the family and, uh, and how they should be behaving. Well, Peter and Paul in the New Testament did the exact same thing. And when you look at their letters, they're writing household codes. Now, you, you think that and you think, okay, so we're just looking at some sort of ancient genre of literature here. Yes, but what we see when we read these household codes is that these guys were writing some wildly, wildly countercultural stuff. I mean, I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, Paul is writing to churches in what is today Western Turkey. And the things that he says in these household codes, which we don't really think of as all that crazy, in that time, they would have blown people's minds. Seriously, uh, parents have compassion on your children. Masters respect your slaves. Like it is, it is wild stuff. It's not how household codes normally go. Paul's upsetting everybody's expectations that are, that are reading his letters. Not because he's trying to be clever, not because he's, you know, trying to, to come up with some new take on household codes, but because this kind of radical living, this, this Christ-like uh, form of relationships, according to Paul, should be normal in the church, should be normal in the kingdom of God. So he's just describing the way that his readers should be living if they, call, if they claim to be following Jesus. Nevertheless, it was wild stuff, as we're going to see. So uh, today's passage is about marriage, and let's go ahead and dive right in in verse 21. And further, this is after some of his other uh, advice, he says, Further, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church, and as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. 
For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, now, right out of the gate, I'm going to acknowledge something. This passage, specifically verse 22, has been used in the church many times in a way that causes a lot of pain. Wives, submit to your husbands. It seems simple, and yet that verse, which is usually taken completely out of its original context, it's been used as a license for abuse, for neglect, even for violence in the church. It breaks my heart. And I know it would break Paul's heart to know that, that his words are being used in that way. That, that, that his words have caused women not to seek help when they're being abused. Or to blame themselves for their husband's sin. Or, or to suppress their own God-given skills and gifts and callings. And so I, I just want to say, if that's a part of your story, and these words, wives submit to your husbands, just ping you with that, 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 ugh, that awful feeling because of how they've been misused, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. We do damage to the text when we rip it right out of its original context and we don't acknowledge the world behind it. That's, we do damage when we do that. So here's what I want us to do. Let's talk about the world behind the text. We always talk about that world because it's important to understand what was really going on when Paul wrote this. We have to start with this. First of all, in the ancient world, the ancient Middle East where this was written, the world behind the text, the ancient world was a highly patriarchal society where just pretty much in general, women were treated as little better than property and men dominated their households. Fathers, husbands, they were the supreme rulers as Tim talked about last week. There are a bunch of examples I could give you, but for example, high profile examples, the philosopher Aristotle, heard of him, and the uh, Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish historian Josephus, both of them, thought that women were naturally inferior in their, their uh, character. Just lesser human beings. That's how they saw women. And they were very influential. Some ancient marriages at the time required the complete and absolute obedience of the wife. To the point where the wife often needed to ask permission to even visit her own family ask permission of her husband. Some wives were not allowed to be seen by any other men. If they were going to go out, they had to be completely covered. Men could divorce their wives for just about any reason, leaving the women with nothing, completely destitute. So, okay, that's the culture that Paul is writing into. So if that's the culture, then what is he actually saying in this, in this whole passage about husbands and wives? Well, first we have to look at verse 21. This verse is the key to the entire passage. He says, to everyone who's reading his letter, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Now, what he's describing when he talks about this is, is what he always talks about, what I always talk about, self-giving love. That's what he's describing here. Putting yourself, submitting, putting yourself below someone else so that you can lift them up. 
Self-giving love, it's the bedrock of every Christian relationship, and it's the foundation of Paul's entire household code here. Self-giving love. So first, he starts with wives. Verse 22, actually, interestingly, doesn't even have a verb in the Greek. It's, it's uh, just a continuation of the thought from the verse before. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. That's literally how it, how it goes. And this is important to Paul that he would point this out. Remember, in the ancient world, men alone, they were the ones who got education. Men were the ones who were providing for their families. Men were the protectors. You might not like that that's how patriarchy, patriarchy works, but that's how the culture worked. Women, on the other hand, were insanely vulnerable. They were very vulnerable. They depended entirely on the whims of the men in their lives. And I know in our modern minds, the ideas of, of ancient Christian women throwing off all their patriarchal shackles it may sound really liberating to us, but realistically, in that world, it would have been something of a death sentence. It would have been very, very dangerous. And so I believe what Paul is saying here is wives, yeah, submit to your husbands. Just as Christ saves the church, as he says, your husband will protect you. He's going to save you. Don't use your newfound freedom in Jesus to tear into two what was meant to be one. Okay? Now, Paul kind of gets that out of the way, in my opinion. When you look at how many verses he devotes to wives and then husbands, he kind of says, okay, wives, obviously, submit to your husbands. You can't go it alone. Now, husbands, it's kind of how I imagine his letter going. He's like, all right, now we're going to have the real conversation here. Husbands, we need to talk because the entire rest of the passage is focused on them. So look at verse 25. Uh, the same foundation in, in what he talks about with husbands is the same as, as with wives. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Loving your wife means death, <laughs> means self-sacrifice, means absolute surrender. Think about that. Think about that. Ancient Ephesus, right? The ancient Middle East. And he's saying to husbands, the unquestioned masters of the family, the kings of their castle, that they must give up their very lives in their love for their spouse. Mutual submission Right? That's what this is talking about, mutual submission. In a very patriarchal society, that meant for the man a deep and profound dying to self. For wives in ancient Ephesus, the, you know, mutual submission meant not rocking the boat. Don't rock the boat too much. But for husbands, this meant a complete renunciation of their power. It's wild. Verse 28, uh, husbands, I'm going to paraphrase here. He's like, husbands, you know how you feed and, and build and protect and care for your body? Yeah, well, you need to treat your wife the same way. Your focus should be on helping her thrive. Now, believe me, when I say that this would have made Paul's readers flabbergasted, this is no ordinary household code. This was not what anyone was expecting. Wildly countercultural. Paul always writes about self-giving love. And this is no exception to that. His take on marriage is, in short, saying this. Look, a godly marriage, a Christ-like marriage, is a race to the bottom. And in the ancient world, husbands had a really long way to go. A godly marriage is a race to the bottom. 
You can see why, if that's true, if that's really what Paul's getting across here, it's, it's crazy that the, the one verse that we remember from all of this is wives submit to your husbands. He's talking about something that is absolutely mind-bogglingly countercultural. Again, understanding the world behind the text, it gives the Bible so much more depth and meaning, and it's a starting point to beginning to interpret it for our world. So let's do that. Let's talk about the world in front of the text, our world, our culture, our time. What does this passage say to us? How do we take these words of Paul and apply them into our, our modern marriages, our modern lives? Well, uh, there are plenty of people, many people who believe that this passage is pointing to some sort of uh, universal truth about the ideal roles of men and women in all marriages, in all times, and in all places. And that is worthy of a much longer conversation. It's a, it's a very interesting conversation, and there are plenty of other passages which we could look at and speak to. That's not what I want to talk about here, because, because I believe that this passage, if we really take it and look at it, it's actually pointing us to something even bigger than just marriage roles. It's calling us to a posture, a posture that is true for every individual in every marriage to take. Every single couple who's married in the church should take this posture. This is the higher uh, thing that Paul is calling us to. And so that is what I want us to focus on, not just the ideal roles of husband and wife. Does that make sense? So let's talk about that posture. And here's why. Here's why I want to talk about that posture instead of just roles. Because I think we can get really bogged down getting into all these conversations about ideal roles. Because we live in a culture, don't we, where gender roles are just not as uniform as they used to be as they were in the ancient Middle East. Sometimes women are the breadwinners in our culture, and men stay home with the kids. Sometimes wives are the ones who make the family financial decisions because they're better equipped for it or whatever. We still use the old cliche, don't we? Uh, the one who wears the pants in the family. Well, I mean, I can't see all of you watching online, but look around the room. It's 2020, everybody wears pants, right? We all wear pants. Now, whether we agree with, with these changing cultural norms or not, We've got to admit that expectations for marriages have changed. Again, we may not like that they've changed, but they have. They have. Now, sure, there are still, just like the Middle East, there are still plenty of uh, the ancient Middle East uh, domineering and controlling men in our culture, just like there were in Ephesus. But sometimes the roles are reversed. There are plenty of marriages in our world where it's the wife who is the emotionally or physically abusive one. It's, it's just a normal part of our world now. So my, my point is this. My point is this. I don't think that our takeaway from Ephesians 5 should just be about proper gender roles in marriage. I believe our takeaway should be that this passage is a call to radical, self-giving love regardless of our cultural norms. That's what we need to wrestle with. It's a call to self-sacrifice in our marriages, to, to mutual submission to loving your spouse the way that Jesus loves us, regardless of who's wearing the proverbial pants. A godly marriage is a race to the bottom, yesterday, today, and always. It's a race to the bottom. So here's what this means. Put simply, this is what it means. For some wives in our culture, in our church, yes, you need to submit to your husband. You need to let him care for you and protect you. Don't let your freedom in Jesus tear into two what was meant to be one. But there are other wives who need to listen to the second part of this passage. 
You need to stop domineering and and start loving your husband like Jesus loves the church with a self-giving posture. Your takeaway from this passage, if that's you, your takeaway is not subservience, but sacrifice. That's what you need to wrestle with. Husbands, yeah, some of you need to recognize that just like ancient husbands in Ephesus, you trample all over your wife. You need to hear these words of Paul and you need to take a good long look in the mirror. Do I have a posture of self-giving love in my marriage? Am I building her up like I'm building my own body? Am I dying to myself so that my wife can thrive? Those are the questions I should be asking. Husbands, the call to submit is just as important for you to wrestle with. It's mutual submission. Don't you go tearing into two what God meant to be one. In all of our marriages, every one of our marriages, we have the opportunity to show our world an entirely new way to live. Regardless of of our, our nationality or our cultural norms or whatever, we can, through our self-giving love, we can show our neighbors and our friends and our family and our coworkers what it looks like to love like Jesus. It's a race to the bottom. Okay. There's the ideology to set us up. That's the foundation. What do we do practically? I know you want practical tips. And I don't know if this list is going to disappoint you or excite you because I'm not going to give you like, buy your wife flowers. Like that may be part of it, but that's not necessarily the kind. I'm going to be talking big picture here. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you some some of these uh, principles that I think we can start to live out and learn a lot about self-giving love with each other. And here's my, my call to you. If you're married especially, please take some notes or, or whatever, go on the website and download them later. But sit down with your spouse and talk about these. Talk about these and ask which ones are the hardest ones for you? What are the things that you want to, to, to grow in? Okay, so use this as an invitation uh, to, to talk and think and wrestle. And you know what? Send us questions. If you've got questions or specific things that you want to know, gracechurch.us slash the good life, send them in. Okay, okay. Oh, and, and again, I'm not an expert. Have I mentioned that? I'm not an expert at this. These are things I'm learning as well. But I think the passage speaks to all of them. Okay? So number one, my my number one principle for how to have a godly race to the bottom marriage. Number one, always, always honor and respect your spouse, especially in public. Here's what I mean by that. If you're married, uh, you likely know your spouse better than just about anybody, right? You know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, you know their insecurities. And because of all that, it is so easy for you to exploit that, to make a joke at their expense when you're out with friends, or to to tell a story that humiliates them ever so slightly, to make you look a little better, to get a cheap laugh. It's so easy. Everybody's done it. It's so easy to do. Or, you know what, it's tempting when you're, when you're out with the boys or you're out with the girls, it's tempting to demean your spouse, to, to gripe about their shortcomings or to, to talk trash about them in some way. And I know in those moments, it all just seems like harmless talk. You don't really mean it, but Jesus said it best. What you say flows from what's in your heart. The things that come out of your mouth reflect what's in your heart. So here's why I say this is an important principle. When you honor your spouse, 
when you are ruthlessly committed to respecting and honoring your spouse in public or in private, when you lift them up with your language, you're practicing self-giving love. You're giving up the opportunity for that cheap laugh, for that easy joke. But what you're doing is you are lifting up your spouse and it will strengthen your marriage because it's going to change your heart. It's going to start to reflect a changed heart, just like Jesus said. So that's number one, honor and respect at all times. Number two, seek to delight your spouse. Don't just avoid hurting them. Okay, there's a distinction here, and I'm going I'm to try to explain it. Uh, Paul's analogy here in, in, about caring for the body in verse 28, I think it's a really good one. It's one thing when you're trying to care for your body. It's one thing to wear a seatbelt and to, you know, not run with scissors because you don't want to harm yourself. That's, that's one thing. It's an entirely other thing to eat well, to get enough sleep, to work out, to, to care for and build your body. Not harming and building your body are two very different things. And I think the same thing is true for marriages. It's one thing to just walk around trying not to hurt your spouse's feelings, not, you know, trying not to get in their way, not trying not to just do the minimum, you know, or to make sure that they don't get upset. That's not harming your spouse. It's something entirely different, though, to start building them, to, to look for ways to delight them, to bring them joy, to build them up, to, to do the things that they love to practice their love languages, not the ones that come easy to you. Am I right, Liv? I've got to work on that one. Uh, give them the things and the experiences and the, the, the moments that they delight in, not the ones that come easiest to you. Now, how is this self-giving love? How is this a race to the bottom? Well, very often, the things that your spouse enjoys are not always the things that you do, okay? And I know that's obvious, but like, look, my wife loves candles, okay? She loves candles candles and I don't get it. It's just smelly wax, but she loves them. She loves them so much. And, and so, you know what? I want to delight her and I'm learning on how to be a better gift giver. So guess what? I just ordered you a couple more Lulu candles, but I went from their website and I got the ones that they automatically send a donation to an animal rescue organization. So look at that. Look at that face. Delight. Delight. It wasn't so hard. Patting myself on the back, I bought candles. That's nothing. But you know what? I wouldn't do that normally, okay? So I'm, I'm making progress. I'm learning. It's, that, it's this kind of posture where we are looking for ways to delight our spouse and not just to avoid hurting their feelings. That's when we start to really strengthen our marriage and, and race to the bottom. Because you know what? When you do that, they're going to start doing it as well. That's how you build that relationship. You, you take that another step, that bigger leap towards the bottom, towards self-sacrifice. But look, this posture, it doesn't come easy. It takes time. It takes energy. You've got to think about it. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. But imagine, just for a moment, imagine what your marriage would look like if this was the kind of posture you had where you were building into, one, into each other's lives like this every single day. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. How are you? Good. Good? Hi. Hey, let's go shopping. Want to go shopping? Shopping. We have a baby. No, your mom will be here in 30 minutes. Got a babysitter. All lined up. We're going to go to Home Goods. Then we're going to go to Target. Sounds good? So far, yeah? Then we're going to go get pedicures after? <laughs> what? Yeah, let's get pedicures. Yeah? Oh, eyeliner. Away. <laughs> What? And then we'll go uh, get brunch. You want brunch? We'll go to First Watch. Yeah, we'll get some pancakes. Yeah, syrup on them. Maybe some uh, biscuits. Oh, yeah. And then? Uh, whatever you want to do. 
Yeah, Chick-fil-A. We've got a peach milkshake. Peach milkshake? Yeah, peach milkshake. Ready? You want to go? Wait, really? Yeah, let's go. Yeah! No! Well, uh, I do know that it was not eyeliner. That was, that was uh, mascara. So as a, you know, I'm growing and I'm learning. So, <laughs> but isn't that, isn't that adorable? What, what if we had that posture is all I'm saying, okay? Now this next one, number three, is where things get a little tough. Uh, not that the other ones aren't. This one is when it gets intense because number three is, is this. Commit to do the heavy lifting together. Here's what I mean. Whether you've been married for five weeks or five years or five decades, one thing is clear. It happens to every marriage. Stuff comes between you. Stuff comes between you. It just does. Arguments, shame, misunderstandings, life circumstances, miscommunications, tragedy, you name it. Stuff comes between you again and again and again. Sometimes it's your fault and sometimes it's not. Sometimes life just happens. But every time something comes between you, it's as if a heavy stone is placed right between you. Now, one stone is not a big deal, right? It's not that big of a deal until another one gets placed and then another one gets placed. And the easiest thing to do in those situations when those big heavy stones come between you is to just ignore them. That's the easiest thing to do because who's got the time to to lift a heavy stone out of the way? But you know what happens when that, when that goes on, you know, it starts to build a wall. That wall starts to take shape and get taller. And, and, you know, one day you look up and you realize, oh, I, I can't even see over the wall anymore. That's what happens with those little things that begin to build and build and build. And I know that if you've been married for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. The only way, the only way to avoid that wall is to commit to do the heavy lifting together. Most of those stones are so heavy, you can't lift them yourself. You gotta do it together. Removing them one by one. Now this takes a lot of self-sacrifice. This is not easy, it takes, it takes work. Uh, having the hard conversation when you'd rather just go to bed. It's apologizing instead of getting defensive. It's being honest about how your feelings were hurt. It means maybe going to get counseling together, taking responsibility for your actions, apologizing by saying not just, I'm sorry that you were hurt, but I'm sorry I hurt you, whether or not you meant to. That wall, it doesn't have to form. It doesn't have to turn into a wall. And if it's already there, if there is a wall between you, it doesn't have to remain. But you've got to be willing to break a sweat. You've got to be willing to lift those stones and go there and do the heavy lifting together. Both of you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do the heavy lifting. Finally, I have one suggestion, and this goes for everybody here, whether you're married or whether you're not, and it's this. Look for ways to lift up the marriages around you. Lift up the marriages around you. Look, none of us are an island. No individual is an island. No couple is an island. We are meant to be spiritual family, spiritual brothers and sisters and uncles and aunties and grandmas and grandpas. We are meant to be in community as a family together. And as you can tell by now, if you didn't already know this, true, lasting, self-sacrificial marriages are no cakewalk. 
They take dedication and endurance and creativity and humility. None of us has the strength to do all that alone, and we surely can't do it perfectly. Whether you are single or whether you're married, whether you're young or old, look around at the marriages in your life. If they are in a race to the bottom, which they're meant to be, if they're in a race to the bottom, then what can you do to stand on the sidelines and cheer them on? How can you get some wind at their back? Could you do something practical? Could you, could you maybe watch their kids and, you know, so the couple could spend some more time together? Or could you call them out if you're seeing one of them being dishonoring to the other? Or maybe you could lovingly point out the wall that's forming between them. Could you pray for them consistently? Could you let them know that you're praying? None of us are an island. Let's look for the marriages in our life and let's lift them up together. Because when we as a community are committed to a whole bunch of godly, self-giving, loving marriages, that's when our community starts to really change. Godly marriages are a race to the bottom, which of course, in the upside down kingdom of God, <clears throat> is really a race to the top, isn't it? It's a race to the top to look more and more like our Savior, Jesus, who is on the throne. Let's be a community which shows the world the beauty of self-giving love.